Imagine you're in the process of being victimized by crime, and you find police officers nearby, and they don't want to help you. Well, that's what happened to one Winnipeg man. We'll tell you his story, and we'll get reaction from the Winnipeg police. Pierre Poilievre is the new leader of the Conservative Party of Canada. Political scientist Kelly Saunders weighs in on that. What's next in Ukraine after some major gains over the weekend? Derek Taylor, voice of the Winnipeg Blue Bombers, joined us to talk about the Banjo Bowl that saw the Bombers destroy the Riders. And speaking of that game, there was a big bet that came out of that game, which has us asking the question, have you ever lost a bet? I'm Brett McGarry, alongside Greg Mackling and Loren McNabb, who's on Connecting Winnipeg this week. We are Mackling, McGarry, and McNabb, and this is the Monday, September 12th podcast for The Start. Good Monday morning. It's Mackling and McGarry. McNabb is on Connecting Winnipeg this week. 30 degrees for a high today and then down to 7 tonight. We're into that wacky transitional period, Mr. Mackling. I think I had my... No, I know I did. I'm making a declarative statement. I had my seat warmer on on the way in this morning. Did you really? <laughs> yeah, I did. Oh, I wow. did. I think the air conditioning was still going on in my house yesterday morning. And then this morning when I woke up, I had turned the thermostat up and it was chilly in the house this morning. And I, but no, there's no way I'm turning that heat on. But I did put the seat warmers on on the way in. Wow. So it is officially that in between stage when it comes to the weather. And I don't know if you knew this or not, Brett, but we just had the longest streak ever, at least in, since they've been keeping weather records in these parts. Of 19 degree or warmer weather. Wow. 96 straight days. This comes from at WG underscore weather, Winnipeg weather records on Twitter. 96 straight days from June 6th until September 9th. It was at at, uh, least 19 degrees or warmer. That streak, the the official high on Saturday was uh, 17.6 degrees. And uh, the second most ever degree days above uh, 19 or more is 90 days and that's in 2006 so uh, we break this unusual record I would say by considerable amount almost an entire week that's fantastic yeah I mean it was it was quite chilly Saturday morning I I I had uh, I had to wear a jacket and I wasn't happy about that because I'm still I'm still like I'm I'm all in on the shorts until it's absolutely necessary. I've sort of like I haven't worn pants, I think in three months, four months. I don't know. Once the shorts go on, they don't come off until it's. I'm not one of those guys who will wear shorts all year. Like we have a couple of colleagues who would wear shorts almost all year long. Sure they would. But um, yeah, it was a little chilly Saturday morning. But that's a fantastic. I mean, the weather is really. I I know it's. We had some. Problems at the beginning of the season, of course. I don't want to downplay that, but it's been a magnificent summer but for the most part. I would agree with you on that. And I don't know. I, I haven't been on the golf course in two weeks now. Are the leaves starting to change color? Are they starting to fall? Yeah. 
They are? A little bit, yeah. A little bit. I noticed a few leaves on the ground over the weekend at Kingswood, and I was playing at uh, Elmhurst yesterday, and I saw some leaves on the ground, and I thought, why why don't you go back to your home? Go back to your home, please. (laughs) (laughs) Crawl back up that tree and get back in there. Well, I'm going to keep watering my flowers until, probably until the snow flies, I think, but... Yeah, I can sense that there's a little bit of a change coming. Not a ton in my neighborhood. The leaves are still an incredible emerald green. Absolutely gorgeous. One of the one of the best summers I can remember for uh, green grass and and green trees. And here we are. Spring, spring, <laughs> autumn is, I think, on the precipice. Yeah. Unfortunately, I do like fall. I mean, that, that's it's your favorite, uh, isn't it? Yeah, I really do enjoy fall uh, if the weather's nice. You know, because we've had some some short falls or some cold falls uh, so but it's when it's nice a uh, nice sunny day around 12 15 degrees when it's kind of crisp outside i really really enjoy that so uh but again yeah 96 consecutive days with a maximum temperature above 19 degrees that's pretty impressive um not so impressive and uh, i'll i'll just apologize to you on the air if i if there's any point this morning where i'm a total space cadet but i have a black cloud hanging over me this morning. It feels like feels like my life is just falling apart. Last week was my phone that died and now my I feel like my it might be the end of the line for my car. What happened yesterday? I'm 2 blocks from home. I'm at River and Osborne. I'm on River to go up to turn right on NASA and then turn right on Roslyn and go home and I'm sitting at the red light and then smoke starts billowing out of the sides of my of the hood of my car and starts coming into my car through the vents. Never like, a good what sign. Is happening here. So I was able to I should have probably just pulled it into the, the the Safeway parking lot, but I I was able to get it home. Uh I I, I look I've sprung some sort of a leak. There was a trail of liquid that had like right from the, the garage door to the <laughs> all the way through the parkade. Uh, and there's a puddle under my car. So I don't know what uh, I think it's coolant. But um, if there's a major repair, I'm just going to take a sledgehammer to that car. I can't say that I blame you at yeah. this point. What, what is the viscosity of said <laughs> liquid, Brett? <laughs> is uh, it high viscosity? Is it low viscosity? It appeared to be is low. It, is it transparent in nature? Is it uh, sludgy? Like, is there a chance this is a coolant situation? It's not sludgy. Okay, well, so that 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 leads me to believe that you might be dealing with something that is operable. I hope so. I hope so. I don't want to. I don't want to deal with another major repair. <laughs> uh, I've already. I've already. And it's funny. I've already started thinking about: Can I make it through the winter without a car? Like, should I just get rid of it and then I'll save the money on insurance and gas and get a new car in the spring? Because I almost never use my car in the winter. I don't know. You might be onto something, McGarry. I don't know. I think you sit down and look at the calendar, figure this out. I am stressed out about it. Oh, but. Ray from Toulon says maybe it's your water pump. Okay. Harry says, don't sweat it, my friend. You just blew a hose. Not a big cost at all. I hope so. Well, here we go. <laughs> we'll hopefully find I, now I got And I got to figure out how am I going to get it out of the garage? <laughs> just push it. Uh, <laughs> Easy. <laughs> I just, I'll just push it to the Waverly Auto Mall. <laughs> It is Mackling and McGarry. McNabb is on Connecting Winnipeg this week. So, Bombers crushed the Rough Riders of Saskatchewan. And as a result, 
There was some amusement on social media, Mr. Mackling, courtesy of the mayor of Regina. The mayor of Regina, uh, Sandra Masters, she uh, had a bet with Brian Bowman for a second consecutive weekend. And uh, I think it was a cake in the face in Regina. And then uh, yesterday, or I guess it was on Saturday, she had to uh, she had to read this. I can press play on it. But I have to cross my fingers. And, oh, okay, I admit that the Bombers are the best team with the loudest, most loyal and good-looking fans in the entire Kings Football League. Lots of it's energy true. there. I love the color blue. I admit the Bombers play in the greatest, most beautiful city in Canada. And I admit mm-hmm. that I'm secretly a Bombers fan now and forever. Excuse me while I now go play the banjo, uh, potentially throw up, and go Bombers. All kidding aside, I actually don't know what happened today. September 30th, Rider Nation, we, we could get back in this. I just want to say, Winnipeg, you're an incredible host. Thank you to Mayor Bowman. Bombers, you played a fantastic game. And I thank you very much. She sort of softened us up at the end there with the, the 12 and 1, 6 and 7. Okay, the records speak for themselves. <laughs> well, she's good sport. That was great. I had a uh, big smile on my face when I saw that. Uh, so today's question for a chance to win two tickets to see Darcy Oak at Burton Cummings Theatre, October 21st and 22nd. Have you ever lost a bet and had to do something embarrassing? Or, you know, what would be a bet that you would make? Or is there a line? Like, where do you draw the line? And uh, Or maybe you've never, like, if you've never been involved in a bet, but maybe someone you know was. Like, for example, one of our former colleagues, Matt Carty, who's from Ontario, huge Toronto Maple Leafs fan. But I seem to recall an instance where he had to adorn a Winnipeg Jets jersey and post that on social media. Were you... Not responsible for that situation, Mackling? I was not, but I did win uh, 100 bucks from Cardi a couple seasons ago. I told him that the Jets would be playing later in the calendar than the Maple Leafs would, and I was correct about that. You bet that. $100. 100 bucks, baby. Oh, wow. Which, of course, went right into my checking account. <laughs> I'd like to say that it went to charity. It did not. It went to feeding my children, so yeah. that's a charity of some sort. So, yeah, look, you got to put your money where your mouth is sometimes. Okay. Now, you actually have a, a creative idea for a sports bet, don't you, Mackling? I do, and I, I think I would do this one at some point. Here's the idea. Poitras, uh, I want your attention on this one. Yes, pre- of pre- course, pre- pre- Pretend you have a friend who is a diehard Saskatchewan Rough Riders Fan, and let's pretend that uh, in November, November twentieth, it's the Blue Bombers and the Rough Riders in the Grey Cup. the The mm-hmm. Rough Riders manage to uh, make their way through the East Division through the crossover, and it's Winnipeg versus Saskatchewan. I think the ultimate bet would be, you know, the saying: it's like the guy was born with a tattoo of fill in the blank team logo on his backside. Yeah, if Saskatchewan wins then I would have to get a Saskatchewan Rough Rider logo tattooed on my left butt cheek. <laughs> if my buddy, who is the big Saskatchewan Rough Rider fan, sees the Blue Bombers win, well, he has to get a big uh, W also on uh, aforementioned body part. I think that is the ultimate bet to a great extent. That Yeah, I, I would never take that bet because it's not worth the risk to me. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, I'd never risk that. Um, but it would be the ultimate bet, you know. I, I don't know. 
caught you, me, Mac. Like, I don't know what to say. Would you do a temporary tattoo? Like, say you had to ta- do a temporary tattoo on your forehead or something. I would do that, yeah. But it's oh, not. Okay. I mean, the, the, the stakes aren't that high. I mean, that's permanently on your left butt cheek for the rest of your life. You can choose. That- you, you can choose who sees that or not, right? I might have that stupid Safeway logo on my left- Safeway logo. <laughs> what? That's awesome. Well, that's what well, the Ryder logo looks like. Yeah. Oh. It used to be the Sheraton <laughs> Hotel back in their in their old old fashioned days, uh, uh, but yeah. now, yeah, you're right. It is the uh, Safeway S. Well, yeah. well played. Okay. Yeah. So, what uh, have you ever lost a bet, Poitras? I have, yeah. I know. I'm going to go back to high school. I was working at McDonald's um, and uh, we were cleaning up. And under the grill, there was this uh, old hamburger patty. Now, Braun, listen closely. This You'll love this. Um, it was a, I don't know how old this thing was. It was moldy. It was gross. It was, uh, anyways. So my manager comes by and I said, listen, I said, he, he said, I bet you 20 bucks you won't eat this whole thing. And you won't he eat looks it? At it. Yeah, I said, you're not going to eat this. It's bitch you 20 bucks. You'll never eat this thing. I just said it randomly, like, kind of as a joke, like showing him what, like, what I found. And then he just went, popped it into his mouth, chewed oh. the whole entire thing up. Oh. I had to go to my wallet and pick up 20. I had to, I had to pay him. And I had so no choice. What was the item? A... It was an old hamburger patty, and it was underneath the grill for God knows how long. Oh, my gosh. And Is it this was guy moldy. still alive? <laughs> I think he, yeah, yeah, as far as I know. Wow. God, I don't remember his name for the life of me, but man, I had to pay up. It was, it was, I didn't even feel bad about it. I was like, dude, I, I said it. You ate it. Here you go. Did he suffer any repercussions? Like the Rough Riders weren't feeling all that well during the Benjamin Bowl? <laughs> I, well, he threw up immediately, almost immediately afterwards, but he did eat it. Oh, wow. Okay. Gross. Uh, Jeff Braun, what about you? Well, first off, I would like to say that if it comes down to riders and bombers in the Grey Cup, then the provinces need to step up the betting action. And to the point where, like, if we lose, we'll give them Brandon. And if they lose, we get Moose Jaw or something like that. <laughs> <laughs> that's a bet. Moose Jaw, Manitoba. I like the sounds of that. I think Burton Cummings lives in Moose Jaw right now. He might not like that very much, but I think that would be good call. Good call, Bron. I- I think the best bet I was ever involved in was it was New Year's Eve heading from like December 31st, 96, it must have been. And four of my friends and I, we were all smokers and we all bet each other, well, we're all going to quit smoking at midnight and whoever lasts the longest gets a case of beer from the other four guys. And the next weekend, I collected my case of beer and I went for a whole year without smoking and those guys never made it past three days. So that, that was the one, the only bet that comes to mind, the one I actually won. So, boy, Jeff. Yeah. Way to go. Um, Mr. Fortier, what about you? I am not a betting man. It just, I can't do it. Like, when I go to the casino, you know, if I lose five bucks, like, that's it. I'm out. Like, <laughs> get me out of there. And even with my friends, I'd be like, hey, bet you, uh, bet you one beer that so-and-so will happen. I'm just like, no, I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna bet a beer. Like, <laughs> I'm not giving up a beer. Like, I'm just, I'm the opposite of betting. Like, I just get so paranoid. I get so sweaty. It's just, no, it doesn't work with me. Well, sometimes you don't want to win a bet. 
I bet my buddy David King way back in the 80s when the pandas were here. Remember when the pandas yeah. came to Winnipeg? And I dressed up as a panda for uh, Halloween for about six, seven years after that. My mom made the greatest uh, costume. Anyway, we had this discussion about whether or not pandas were carnivores or herbivores. And really in, the, in nature, they are carnivores. And I bet David King, I don't know why it, it was a 2-4 plus 2 beers, but that was the bet. And I won, and he decided to pay me back all in one night and forced me to drink 26 beers at Georgie's <laughs> on a Monday night. I, I really, in retrospect, never ever should have, A, made that bet, or B, collected it. Did you do it? I don't know how far I got. The, the night is a blur, uh, <laughs> to be quite honest. I know I ended up on the stage with the band. It might have, in fact, been Jennifer Hansen I was on stage with. Oh, wow. Singing I Was Made for Loving oh, You no. by Kiss. Oh, no. Oh, it was a disaster. <laughs> It is Mackling and McGarry. McNabb is on Connecting Winnipeg this week. We are asking you at 204-780-6868, have you ever lost a bet like Regina's mayor who had to go on social media and praise the Winnipeg Blue Bombers and praise Bomber fans and praise the city of Winnipeg um, after the friendly bet with Mayor Brian Bowman. But before we share some of your stories, shout out to Chris who's on his uh, who's coming home from something pretty cool, Mackling. Yeah, uh, driving home from Kansas after a fantastic NASCAR weekend. Chris says he's streaming the start, CJOB, as he makes his way home. Bubba Wallace won the Hollywood Casino 400 at uh, the uh, Kansas Speedway. That's a really neat stadium. I've never been inside, but I've driven past it several times, and and my curiosity has peaked. I, I do really want to go to a, a race there in Kansas. It holds about 48,000 people. It's not one of these massive ones like they have, you know, in North Carolina or something like that or or, or uh, in Georgia, but uh, uh, pretty cool place nonetheless. And that's still a big, that's still a lot of people. Uh, so yeah, that would be cool. And I'm just looking at pictures of this track right now. Yeah, it looks like a fun time. So that's great. And Cat uh, in Gimli with a bet of sorts. I've never lost a bet, says Kat, because I don't bet on anything that depends on other people. But when I was 15, I took part in a walkathon to raise money for repairs to Worcester Cathedral. <laughs> Worcester, yeah. Thank you. <laughs> I hope that's right. <laughs> My mom showed her with laughter when she heard and said, I'll give you one pound for every mile you walk. You'll never walk 20 miles. I bet you'll only walk a mile. Guess she forgot I spent four years walking to and from school in the next town, a total of 10 miles a day, Brett. Yeah, I finished the course in six hours, said Kat, and she sh uh, owed me 20 pounds, which was equal to her grocery budget for a week. She was aghast, but she said she'd sign the pledge form. She apologized for doubting me. So listen to what Kat did. I erased her pledge and rewrote it so she only owned me a pound. She never again doubted my resolve. All right, Kat. Way All to right. go. Congratulations on sticking it <laughs> to your mom on that one. And just looking through some other ones here. Um, we're trying to decide if we can even share a story from Maureen. What do you think? Can we share this? You know what? You're the radio veteran here. You know the CRTC <laughs> regulations inside and out. I, I, I'm going to defer to your 
fine judgment, Mr. McGarry. I, yeah, you know what? I think we'll uh, we'll pause that. We'll have, we're going to have to see if we can uh, put that through like a Seinfeld blender. Uh, you know, they were always able to talk about certain things without actually talking about it. Put it through the sanitizer, so to speak. Indeed. <laughs> but Wendy's got one here involving one of your favorite hockey teams, Greg, the Edmonton Oilers. Yes, my, my, my easily my 19th favorite <laughs> hockey team. <laughs> Wendy says had a season-long bet with an Edmonton Oilers fan. Each time the Oilers played the Jets, the loser had to post a picture on social media for 24 hours with the winning team's jersey on. I only had to wear an Oilers jersey once. I didn't make that bet last season, thank goodness. Mm. And FYI, I would never make that bet with a Toronto fan. I would never wear a Leafs jersey under any circumstances. See, there are lines in the sand, lines to be drawn. Well done, Wendy. Go Jets, go. 204-780-6868. Have you ever lost a bet? Ever seen somebody lose a bet? Or maybe you won the bet. 204-780-6868 for a chance to win tickets to see Darcy Oak at Burton Cummings Theatre next month. In our, our next half hour, we're going to give away a $50 gift card for TransCanada Brewing, celebrating their fifth anniversary big party at the brewery this Saturday. <laughs> Right now, I want to talk about Ukrainian troops who on Sunday successfully pressed their swift counteroffensive in the northeastern part of the country, even as a nuclear power plant in the Russia-occupied south completely shut down in a bid to prevent a radiation disaster as fighting raged nearby. Kyiv's action to reclaim Russia-occupied areas in the Kharkiv region forced Moscow to withdraw its troops to prevent them from being surrounded, leaving behind significant numbers of weapons and munitions in a hasty retreat as the war marked its 200 hundredth day on Sunday. Charles de Ledesma has more. The regional governor of the northeastern Kharkiv region says in some areas of the front our defenders have reached the state border with the Russian Federation while the city's mayor has written on telegram that soldiers are heroes highlighting the exuberant mood in the nation that's endured more than 200 days of war and occupation. However as throughout the war such military claims are hard to verify in Independently. After Sunday's attacks by Russia, Kiev authorities say electric power and water supplies have been restored to some 80% in the Kharkiv region. And I'm that, Charles Diladesma. And that exuberance on display all over social media over the weekend, Brett, and a jubilant Ukrainian president of Volodymyr Zelensky mocked the Russians in a video address Saturday night saying that, quote, the Russian army in these days is demonstrating the best that it can do showing its back. To get more insight into these developments, we welcome the president of the Canadian Global Affairs Institute, the host of the weekly Defence Deconstructed podcast and author of multiple publications related to defence budgeting, transformation and procurement. Good morning, David Perry. Good morning to you. Will Ukraine's success, this is a pretty straightforward question, Dave, uh, will Ukraine's success in this counteroffensive have its allies stepping up to any greater degree? Well, I, I think what we've seen, uh, not just on, on Sunday as uh, the intro there played, but what seems to still be playing out uh, right now uh, is that the Ukrainians have actually been so successful in the Northeast that there's now some discussion about exactly how far they push before they, they stop and they try and consolidate their position, reestablish their supply line so they don't get overextended and exposed. I do think that the timing of this was particularly important. Certainly in the last several weeks, have been seeing basically just a, 
uh, an avalanche of horrible economic uh, news in Europe tied to energy prices, Um, you know, massive uh, price increases in the cost of of keeping factories uh, open and people employed, um, looming crisis about um, energy for heating in much of Europe. Um, So I think the fact that uh, Ukraine was able to not just retake territory and liberate, you know, um, I, I don't think it's quite clear at this point how many people were were there, and we may not know for a while. Um, but very important, I, I think, in the bigger scheme of things, as you say, that they demonstrated some real concrete success. Now, the situation with the Zaporizhia power plant continues to be of great concern. How confidently can we say that neither side wants to see a nuclear disaster there? Well, I think we basically uh, can't be anywhere near as confident as you'd want to be um, with a facility like that. Um, that's not just, uh, you know, potentially a critical security and safety issue given um, the the potential for uh, nuclear fallout um, of various different types. But beyond that, it's a it's a key source of energy for Ukraine. Uh, now that it's, from what I understand, effectively offline, um, that's going to put a real uh, significant pressure on Ukraine, particularly when you overlay that against the, the restrictions in, in Russian um, gas supply. So that that's a major issue to, to sort out, uh, and I think you know an ongoing one because the Russians can potentially keep that facility at threat um, effectively for as long as, as they want to because they have the ability to, to fire on it. Even if they move out of the immediate area, um, there's, there's still a, a significant risk there, I think, uh, that we could see something we haven't really seen before, which is a, a nuclear facility falling victim just to the ongoing course of war, either um, on purpose or inadvertently. And that uh, sort of ties together the, the question I wanted to ask you last here, David, as, as you know, Europe prepares for a winter of uncertain supplies of natural gas for heating. That's, as you mentioned, is causing all sorts of consternation, economic strife. We're seeing it in Great Britain, a discussion of of what they're going to do there. Uh, The government looking to take action to to limit the amount of money that Britons have to, to pay to heat their homes over the winter. Now, Ukraine. The Ukrainian winters can be pretty nasty. Uh, living here in Manitoba, they can be compar- uh, comparable in certain places and at certain times. Does Ukraine need to secure certain geography in order to prevent Russia from, I'll use the term, freezing them out? Well, I, uh, that's kind of tricky to answer because of the, the way that the, the energy grid there is configured, as far as I understand it, as well as their gas supply routes. I, you know, when you overlay that with the fact that Russia, if Russian troops, however many thousand, have been pushed out of that that region, and that's a little bit murky. Seems like they had redeployed, um, by a lot of accounts, some of their forces and some of their best forces uh, further south of the Kherson region, where there, there did seem to be a Ukrainian offensive, but um, either one that. Um, because of the the local conditions didn't go as far or they didn't push as much or it was and to some extent positioned as a ruse but uh, you know having said that i think the the takeaway for me is that the russians are spread over still despite the territory they've given up a very big uh, chunk of geography for ukraine there's lots of key critical infrastructure that runs through that region um so to your point there are um you know i think looming energy concerns but beyond that i mean the ukrainian economy uh, based on the amount of destruction we've seen before, has taken a, a horrific pounding. So I think in all kinds of respects, 
there's going to be a need for the West to very actively continue to to help support the country, um, not just with weapons, but in terms of financial and other types of aid, is, and um, start thinking very seriously about uh, a massive rebuilding project to help them uh, revitalize both their their critical infrastructure and get you know all kinds of other components of their economy back up and running. You know, as an example, that massive steel plant that took so long to fall to fall. Um, a few months ago, it's basically been decimated. So the country's facing some massive economic challenges, even in the parts of the country that are now back in Ukrainian hands. Our guest is David Perry, president of the Canadian Global Affairs Institute. And David, we, you know, we heard that it's now over 200 days into this war. Any indication as to what, how long this thing could go? No, and I think uh, we're not going to know that until we get a better sense of what the ultimate objectives are for for both sides. I mean, the Ukrainians have been increasingly um, clear that they want to get the Russians out of all Ukrainian territory. That's probably the next kind of major point of friction with the West, potentially, because the West collectively, including Canada, had had sort of de facto um, been more or less fine with the Russians seizing and holding Crimea, Crimea, and, you know, to some extent, uh, the eastern provinces um, where there had been that contested fighting, uh, we hadn't pushed back, we hadn't put in place a sanctions regime that was anywhere close to where we are right now, uh, and I think if uh, you're sitting in Kiev, um, you'd be thinking about pushing to retake uh, all of that territory, not just what the Russians took since February 24th. But to do that, you know, I think the Ukrainians are going to need, as I was saying, um, significant amounts of, of ongoing support. Um, pretty difficult to think that uh, there's a, a way for the Putin regime to climb down from this gracefully. Um, so you would think that they're going to be refocusing efforts on, on holding the territory that they've got as best they can. Um, and I think it's also important to keep in mind that, you know, the, the Russians still haven't gone to basically a mass uh, mobilization uh, call-up of personnel. I think there's a lot of different reasons for doing that. It's not an ideal scenario. And part of the difficulty they've been facing is that they don't have that many uh, troops committed given the, the breadth of the area, and they're becoming uh, run down with depleted morale because they haven't been able to rotate them out. But they still have the option, if they want to, to, to engage in a, a more broad call-up. Um, but we'll see how that plays out. Before we let you go here, if you can, in a minute, do we really have a sense of what might be going on behind the scenes in, in Russia? Lots of, or plenty of reports, I should say, proper English, uh, of of Putin maybe facing some backlash uh, internally in, in Moscow. Do, do we have any way to confirm that or understand what's going on there, David? I don't think that we would have a good sense of, it, of the exact severity of it, but you do see a lot of reporting that some of the, the most ardent cheerleaders of the regime are now taking to openly criticize what has happened just in the last few days. That's the kind of thing that I think that would be increasingly difficult um, for the the Putin regime uh, to deal with. But with an autocratic state like that, and given the the tight control they place over the the media and most other mechanisms of the states, it's tough to get a good sense of exactly how that unfolds. But, you know, bottom line is losing territory like that. uh, There's no way to gloss that up and spin it as a positive. David Perry, president of the Canadian Global Affairs Institute, joining us live on 680 CJOB. David, thank you very much for this. We appreciate it. Great to talk to you. And, of course, any further developments will be shared on this radio station on cjob.com and globalnews.ca. Have you ever lost a bet? 
Or maybe you won a, a, a cool bet and somebody had to do something embarrassing. Tell us a story for a chance to win. But right now, let's get right into this, because if you're looking for unity as a sign of strength in a political party, the Conservative Party of Canada would appear to be pretty strong as of this weekend. We have a new leader, the next Prime Minister of Canada, la prochain Prime Minister de Canada, the Honourable Pierre Polyevre and Anna Polyevre. So this is now Pierre Poilievre's Conservative Party. The Carleton MP's convincing leadership victory Saturday night gives him a strong mandate from the Conservative rank and file to remake the party in his image. Coupled with significant backing from the party's elected caucus and unelected senators, that means Poilievre is unlikely to face the internal skepticism and backbiting that plagued Aaron O'Toole's brief leadership. And Poilievre is also unlikely to be forced into the tightrope act Former leader Andrew Scheer attempted keeping the party united behind him after winning the 2017 leadership by the slimmest of margins. Joining us now, Kelly Saunders, Associate Professor in Politics at Brandon University. And Kelly, as it turns out, this rate for leader of the Conservative Party of Canada wasn't even close. Does this overwhelming endorsement of Pierre Polyev and apparent unity convey a level of strength for the official opposition? Hi, good morning. Uh, yes, I think it absolutely does. Uh, it was a decisive victory, as you just said. Uh, Polyev not only won, you know, an incredible uh, close to 70% of the votes that were cast, he brought in, what, roughly 300,000 new members into the party. Um, the, the vast majority of sitting MPs and, and senators, as you just noted, were also behind him. So I think that he did what he absolutely needed to do and what the party needed, which was to have a clear and decisive leader emerge out of this race. So plenty of questions about where on the political spectrum that party presents itself now that the leadership race has concluded. Do Polyev's views and declared positions automatically become those of the Conservative Party of Canada? Yeah, yeah. Well, this is where the real test is going to come in, right? It's one thing to, to win the leadership race, and certainly that is job one. But job two is for Polyev to be able to mold the party in a way that not only keeps everybody on side, but is able to bring over voters and bring over Canadians to their side. Because remember, it's one thing to become leader of the party. Now you have to become leader of, of Canada, right? And to convince voters across the country in a general election that what you're presenting is what they want and what they need and what their vision of Canada is. And so that's going to be the real test for him moving forward is, is how much is he able to convince Canadians to come on board to where he thinks the, the country needs to go and where the Conservative Party now thinks where the country needs to go. Well, speaking of the country and where the CPC needs to go, it needs to gain votes in, in more urban ridings, in particular in the GTA. Will Polyev give them that opportunity, Kelly? Mm-hmm, yeah, absolutely. But he absolutely needs those seats if he wants to form majority government. Kelly Saunders is Associate Professor in Politics at Brandon University. And before we let you go, Kelly, one of our listeners was suggesting even a trained chimp could lead the Conservatives to victory over uh, Justin Trudeau and the Liberals. Uh, Our question of the day at CJOB.com is, do you think he'll be the next Prime Minister? Uh, What's your take? 
Mm-hmm, yeah. Well, it's a little bit of a harsh judgment about the train ship, maybe. Uh, but uh, certainly, you're, you know, he's facing a government now that is tired. Uh, they've been in office, the Liberals have been in office for almost seven years. There's a lot of baggage there. People are frustrated across this country with the pandemic and housing affordability, health care. And so it's easy to point fingers at incumbent governments, and rightfully so, right? They're the ones that uh, at the end of the day are in charge. So the timing is right, I think, uh, for, you know, for an opposition party to maybe make some inroads on that. Uh, but if, you know, the current deal between the NDP and the Liberals hold, we're not looking for an election uh, until 2025. A lot can happen between now and then. So, uh, you know, never say never in politics, uh, but uh, we still have a lot of time to get through yet before I think we can start making predictions like that. Kelly Saunders, thank you very much for your time. We appreciate it. Thank you. Kelly Saunders, Associate Professor in Politics at Brandon University. And that question of the day at cjob.com for credit aid. Worried about your debt? Call 204-987-6890. So far, 60% say yes. Pierre Poiliev will be the next Prime Minister. 40% no. Cast your vote, cjob.com. We're asking you if you've ever lost a bet, or maybe you've won a bet, Regina's mayor lost the bet, of course, with Mayor Brian Bowman because the Bombers slapped the riders over the weekend and she had to go on social media and express her praise for the Bombers and for Winnipeg and for the fans, etc., etc. It was all very amusing. And uh, John, uh, not a Bombers bet, but Jets bets. Problems for John. Yeah, John says, I've always been a sucker for betting on the Jets, both 1.0 and 2.0 versions back in the early to mid-90s. Living in Vancouver, uh, got tickets to every Jets uh, ta- game, not cake, uh, every time they came to town. My hair metal hair in all its glory was the target of a girl I was interested in. My blinders for how much I love the Jets always caused me to put my hair on the line in hopes that it would be that final step to getting that date. Needless to say that at least on two occasions, I went from having Bon Jovi hair to looking like someone who had just visited the military barber. You'd think that I'd learn my lesson once Jets 2.0 came around, but no. In the school I taught at in BC, I was surrounded by Canucks fans and a fellow teacher who was a Habs fan. Every time the Canucks and Jets played or the Habs and Jets played, the loser had to wear the other team's jersey to school for a week. Jeez. Needless to say, I wore a lot of Canucks and Habs jerseys. Oh, man. John, uh, bless your uh, loyalty to the Jets. (laughs) And there's actually more to that story, and we can share that a little bit later. So keep those texts coming for a chance to win the Darcy Oak tickets. We'll pick a winner at 9.15. As as mentioned, bet paid. Regina's mayor, Sandra Masters. But I have to cross my fingers. And, oh, okay, I admit that the Bombers are the best team with the loudest, most loyal and good-looking fans in the entire game football league. I love the color blue. I admit the Bombers play in the greatest first city in Canada, and I admit that I'm secretly a Bombers fan now and forever. Excuse me while I now go play the banjo, uh, potentially throw up, and go Bombers. All kidding aside, I actually don't know what happened today. September 30th, Rider Nation, we, we can get back in this. I just want to say, Winnipeg, you're an incredible host. Thank you to Mayor Bowman. Bombers, you played a fantastic game, and I thank you very much.
Well, we'll have to see uh, if that game on September 30th means anything at all. The Blue Bombers collecting four of four points in the CFL standings with two wins over the Rough Riders in just six days. It was a rout at IG Field Saturday afternoon. Derek Taylor is the voice of the Winnipeg Blue Bombers here on CJOB. And uh, DT, one punt from Mark Legio Saturday, if my calculations are accurate, I'm going to suggest you might be able to make plenty of assumptions about how the game went for the blue and gold working forward from that one impressive stat alone. Yeah, and that punt came when Drew Brown was in the game, right? So when Zach Kolaris was in there, I'm pretty sure it was when Brown was in the game. But yeah, when Zach was in there, it was either touchdowns or field goals and no turnovers and... Yeah, there were a lot of very, very happy people at IG Field on on the weekend because uh, to have that game, period, but then to have that game against the Saskatchewan Rough Riders, even better. Do we know what the Rough Riders were dealing with on the health front? So, uh, Coach uh, Craig Dickinson talked afterward. He said uh, on Friday night he went out to a Mexican place. Nobody, nobody names the the restaurant because that that could just get be troubling. Uh, and he said uh, after a couple hours he got back to his hotel room and he felt very ill very quickly and and threw up a few times. And and so what I've been told is you know, they had fifteen people on IVs in the locker room in advance of the game, and you saw. Like star players, their top receiver, Kean Schaefer Baker, uh, was supposed to start. He got moved to backup, didn't play a snap as best we saw. Justin McKinnis, another Canadian receiver, didn't play a snap. They had to leave back their top halfback and fullback, and they lost a member of their offensive line during the course of the game as he, as he, he just couldn't finish. So, uh, when, when you, t- when you hear that, when you see the guys who couldn't play, and when you consider how different the result was from the Labor Day game to the Banjo Bowl game, I just leave that going. Saskatchewan must have been getting punished by whatever that bug or food thing was because uh, to lose by 34 and to not even really put up, be able to put up a fight, uh, I just think they were they got crushed by whatever that was. DT, I'm going to push back a little bit on the fact that, you know, 54-20 obviously was the final score. The Bombers go in at the half leading 27-10. And then Saskatchewan does exactly what you want to do if you're the Rough Riders. They score early, and it doesn't get earlier than the first play of that second half. They return the kickoff back for a touchdown. And you have to believe that they believed at that point they had a chance to get back in that game. And and the Blue Bombers simply answered straight back. It was it was uh, very impressive. I thought the way Saskatchewan hung in, despite what they were up against, and it was even maybe more impressive that the, that the Blue Bombers said, uh, "Not this afternoon, friends." <laughs> Oh yeah, the I mean the opening kickoff goes back for a touch, for a touchdown. So Mario Alford, you know, gets them seven points right off the bat in the third quarter. But like uh, the the difference between games uh, of Cody Fajardo and I don't I don't feel like Winnipeg had any, had any more quarterback pressure. They had a bunch in the first game. They had a bunch in this game. But Fajardo finishes fifteen of eighteen for one twenty four. Uh, Shaq Evans couldn't, had some trouble catching the ball. Uh, Kyron Moore was fantastic, so he looked full speed. But, I mean, yeah, they're just mm, offensive linemen not not looking strong, defensive players getting beat that you wouldn't necessarily expect. 
it's it, it had to be a factor, and we can't take anything away from from the bombers, right? They were you you play who they put in front of you, right? The game's not going anywhere. And man, Brady Oliveira and the offensive line looked sharp. Rasheed Bailey had the best game he's had this season. Nick Dembski's, of course, was a star. Brandon O'Leary Orange was ready to go. The second Drew Willitarski got hurt. There's Brandon O'Leary Orange, who almost had two touchdowns in the game. The Bombers looked absolutely fantastic, just like you would you would expect them to look. Whatever whatever state the the Riders were in, the Bombers were very clearly uh, in their top form. Derek, what do the Bombers need to have happen in order for them to secure first place in the West? Oh my gosh! So five games left, and they are four games up, uh, four wins up on the BC Lions. So just doing this off the top of my head, uh, they the BC is the one team they haven't clinched the season series against uh, Edmonton too, but Edmonton doesn't matter for the purpose of this conversation. So uh, essentially, if the Bombers win one more game, uh, they're going to be first place in the West. <laughs> so it's it's not much further now. It's and it's come on us pretty quick. They just clinched a playoff spot with a win. In the Labor Day game, and yeah, a uh, a thirteenth win would be enough to get them uh, to guarantee that they finish in first place in the West, which is uh, that's a lot. <laughs> like that's that's pretty quick. And then all of a sudden, they have four games uh, plus a bye week to kind of figure out. Uh, okay, well, what are we going to do with this? So it's uh, yeah, it's it's pretty good. So yeah, sorry, a Winnipeg win and a BC loss, and I think they are there eight and four. Uh, plus the season series. Sorry, two more wins. Uh, two more BC win- Winnipeg wins or BC losses. Looks like they should be done at that point. I think we got it there. Okay, so that uh, game on the 30th, that return date uh, from Saskatchewan, looks as though that that, that, there's, that, that, that will matter as we make yeah. our way towards the end of the season. I mean, clinching is, is great. Clinching early is fine. Clinching really early poses a whole other set of problems, right, DT? Well, p- potentially, and this is something that got uh, that Calgary got tagged with in what 2016 and 2017 of what uh, the Calgary in 16 uh, clinched really quite early, and people thought, well, what are you going to do? How are you going to have? How are you going to handle Bowley by Mitchell? You guys are they finished 15 two and one, and very far clear of both Winnipeg and BC that year. They go, what are you going to do? Oh, Bowley by Mitchell hasn't played a meaningful snap in 30 something days because he didn't play the final game, and you obviously have the bye week in the playoffs, and now here's the. Uh, the West final uh, last year, what the Bombers rested everybody in the second last game and then got some guys, some snaps in the final game against Calgary, which I mean, there's every reason to think that they, they like how that turned out, right? We only, you only get one shot at this to figure it out. But last season, I mean, uh, Kalaris and company looked pretty good. Once the, uh, once the, the uh, West final started to roll around in awful, awful weather conditions. So, yeah, they're, they're going to, we've talked about this for a few weeks now, they're going to have options. And however they can, they want to handle guys who are returning from injury, they can work them in slowly. Guys who are healthy and they want to keep healthy for the playoffs, uh, they're going to have a lot of options when it comes to uh, the last couple of games, the Riders, the couple against BC and the one against uh, Edmonton. Hamilton this Saturday afternoon. But before that, of course, the coaches show coming up tonight. All sorts of uh, fun conversation, I'm sure, with Mike O'Shea between seven and eight. Yes, uh, we will. We'll be going out for Mexican food before the for the show, and we'll just uh, see what happens. <laughs> Derek Taylor, voice of the Winnipeg Blue Bombers, joining us live on the start. Derek, pleasure as always. Thank you, sir. Thanks for having me. And it was also an emotional moment after 
the game GMAC. I saw Sarah Orleski uh, doing uh, her immediately after the game, and she uh, was you know, shedding some tears. It was a big day for her as she embarks on a new adventure. Yeah, she now works for the Winnipeg Jets, and her time, 14 years covering the CFL, and nobody did her job better than Sarah Orlaski. She is a splendid human being. I've got to know Sarah over the last few years, and I, I, I think she's absolutely wonderful. Nobody, as I say, does her job better or their job better than she does. And uh, congratulations to her. Zach Caleros, in fact, presented Sarah with the game ball. So that will give you uh, some sort of indication, the respect that Sarah Orleski has amongst CFL players. They did a tribute to her in Regina last weekend. They did the same thing in Calgary. Uh, Just beloved. And we'll be fortunate to be able to speak with her on Winnipeg Jets-associated topics, making our way through this season. You mentioned the game ball. I think we you want me to hit this clip. We got time. Do it. I want to give you the game ball for today, Sarah. But not just from me, from the organization and everybody. I told you yesterday, we're all going to really miss you around here. Uh, the league's going to miss you. You've been incredible. Incredible to me, incredible to my family and everybody. And uh, we love you. Game ball for the organization. Leave it. Now I'm going to cry. Great. I made it this far, Zach. <laughs> <laughs> Game ball presented to Sarah Oleski by quarterback Zach Caleros. Bike theft. As if the theft wasn't enough, our guest says when he found a group of police officers nearby, they were unwilling to help him. Paul Gackle is a Winnipegger who has spent time in San Jose, California, covering the San Jose Sharks for the Mercury News. Paul joins us now. Welcome to the program, Paul. Hey, thanks for having me on, guys. I know you're familiar with the time constraints involved with an interview like this, but I have to ask, uh, because I think there's a separate interview in this altogether, what has you back in Winnipeg? Well, actually, um, it's funny that you bring that up because uh, I was stabbed 14 times in an attempted murder just a few years ago. I've been having some mental health issues related to the violent trauma that I experienced, and so I'm supposed to be up here in Winnipeg just kind of um, getting away from all the violence and chaos that I experienced in California and uh, be up here and reconnect with friends, family, get some good outside time. Um, but I guess I couldn't get too far away from being a victim of another crime. So can you tell us about your experience the other day, Paul? Yeah, well, first off, can I just say real quick, and I know there's time constraints, I just do want to acknowledge the extraordinary privilege that I benefit from uh, being a guy that grew up here in, in the south side of Winnipeg, because in the aftermath of this crime, I'm getting a lot of people from all over the city reaching out to me, sharing their experiences of um, malaise from the Winnipeg Police Service. And I'm getting a lot of people talking to me from the north end of the city, and they're not getting responses to situations that are a lot more dire and a lot more urgent than the stolen bike that I experienced in the Osborne Village. So I do want to put that out there. But Basically, what happened uh, the other day was that um, I had my bike part um, locked uh, down the front gate in my building because there was a power outage and I couldn't get the bike back up uh, to, to the condo. And um, I went out to jump on my bike and noticed that somebody had unlocked, picked the, the U-lock that I had had on the bike tied to the gate and had uh, rechained my bike up to another bike using a combination lock that was not mine. 
Uh, so basically I had no idea what to do. How am I going to get this bike off this other bike? And, uh, figured that somebody was trying to steal the bike, but just locked it up there. Um, while they went and searched for a sort of a getaway vehicle or some way to take the bike away. So I first went and I found a city worker, uh, some sort of electrician and asked us if he had some wire, uh, uh, some bolt cutters that he could help me with. And he suggested that I try three one one one. So I headed down to River and Osborne and I stumbled across three police officers, two cruisers, and they were just sort of standing around on the other side of river talking it up and enjoying a, what appeared to be a coffee break. I explained my, my situation to them. I said, look, it looks like my bike's actually being in the process of being stolen. Somebody's already picked the lock. They've chained it with their own lock uh, to another bike. And what can you guys do to help me? And they basically shrugged their shoulders and said, sorry, bud, you're on your own. There's uh, nothing we can do about this. Your options are you could call a locksmith or you could go buy a pair of bolt cutters. So I guess I'm just, I'm a naive person. I guess I think of policing as sort of a community effort where uh, the community is at its best when they trust law enforcement and law enforcement's looking out for the members of its community. And I thought these guys would say, you know what, Paul, let us just see what we can do. Uh, you know, really, if they, if I could have just had somebody stand there for, for 10 or 15 minutes while I figured out a way to get this bike off, you know, that might have uh, gone a long way for me. But these guys instead basically shrugged their shoulders, told me there was nothing that they could do. It was not in the purview of what is their responsibilities as the Winnipeg Police Service. They suggested I get bolt cutters or call a locksmith, and they basically uh, laughed at me. When I said, really, you're the police, you can't do anything to stop a crime in process, they started laughing at me. Well, and that's frustrating. We had the mayor on our program several years ago when the WPS announced the fact that they would no longer be coming to your home. Uh, following a yeah. break-in, that you would be doing uh, a virtual call if you had the capability to do a face, the equivalent of a FaceTime or, or you know, uh, that sort of thing and walk through your house. And, and, and I posed that question to the mayor back then. You know, for many Winnipeg, is a vast majority of us, there are only a handful of times we'll ever interact with a police officer. Uh, cool. Maybe when we're getting a traffic ticket or, or, or maybe something more, more serious in terms of uh, maybe you know, uh, do, doing something that we shouldn't be doing whilst driving. But really the only time we're counting on a police officer to be there, maybe put a hand on our shoulder and say, we're going to do what we can do is when our home has been broken into. It's such a a personal thing. And now they're not even doing that. So talk about that relationship. You've experienced it in the United States and about that idea of, 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 of basically a barrier between law abiding citizens and those that need, need a helping hand and maybe even just a little bit of comfort in a time of need. Yeah, well, we are seeing this all across the states, and I can't speak as much to the Winnipeg Police Service, obviously, but I do know what I'm seeing in the United States, and what I've seen in the United States is that the police has committed a string of murders against our African-American population. Obviously, the exclamation point on that was the murder of George Floyd down in Minneapolis. And in response to that in the United States, people are starting to reimagine what policing should be. Hey, 
is all the money that we're putting into this, is this actually doing what we want it to do? You know, it, we're hearing from police so much what they do is actually mental health crisis calls, things of that nature. Well, really armed officers are really, they are they the best people to have in charge of those situations? Can we take some of this stuff off their plate and so that they can respond to the stolen bikes, to the, to the break-ins, that type of thing? That's the conversation that we're having in the States. And obviously when you start to have that conversation, you're talking about taking things away from powerful unions. And what we're seeing in the States, I can't say this is what's going on in Canada, but I know in the aftermath of the Freddie Gray murder that we had in Baltimore, where the police were under fire in response to George Floyd. In San Francisco, we had a um, a very progressive district attorney that was going to start prosecuting police for their officer-involved shootings. When we start talking about some accountability on the police unions, when we start talking about maybe shifting some resources away from them, a lot of the times their response is to drag their heels and do nothing and say to people, look, look how much you need us now. Don't you want us now? That's what we're seeing across the states. I'm not sure if that's exactly what's going on up here in Winnipeg, but it sounds awfully familiar because when I open the free press in the morning, it seems like day after day, week after week, I hear... I read the, the, the union for the Winnipeg Police Service. Um, either they're blasting their own uh, police chief or they're explaining why they can't go help a kid who got his bike robbed at knife point in Wosley. They're always making the case, we don't have enough resources. We need more, more, more. And that seems like a response uh, to a moment in time where people are starting to go, hmm, really, what are the police for? What is their role in our community? And there are ways that we can shift the funding around so that we can execute our goals a little better. And I personally, i got to say, and this was attached to my Twitter thread, I think the slogan, defund the police, is is a little bit um, unfortunate. I think that that's really um, muddied up the waters of, like, what we're actually talking about with this issue. I did not say defund the police on my Twitter thread. A lot of people attached that to it. I'm saying let's reimagine the police. I'm not saying let's get rid of police altogether. I'm saying let's take some burdens off their shoulders so that they can get back to doing what we want them to do, which is if your bike is in the middle of being stolen, the police can jump in and help and prevent the crime from actually happening. That's taking things off the police shoulders. So if a 11-year-old kid gets robbed in Wosley, they can actually respond to him and not show up at his door at 1 in the morning. So, um, no defund the police for me. I'm just saying let's reimagine the police. At Gackle Report on Twitter, if you want to get in touch with Paul and, and follow him on this, interact with him. I know he's open to it. I know he's up for it. And I can tell you that we've reached out to the Winnipeg Police Service Union to have a discussion about this as well. So, Paul, thanks for opening our eyes to this. And I also understand that y- y- you've, got a, you've got a bike to use right now. So, uh, Winnipeg, uh, you know... It's two-sided coin, right? One one thing that we don't uh, necessarily celebrate, and then the the other uh, that is more like who we really are. Well, that's true. There is a happy ending to this story, and that's the nice thing about being in a small little community like Winnipeg. Because when I made that posting, you know, it spread pretty quickly like wildfires. And somebody that I went to high school with, I Kelvin saw it and said, "Hey, buddy, do you need a bike? I got an extra bike sitting in the garage." So the the happy ending to that story. 
is that after having a terrible experience like that with the Winnipeg Police Service, you get to fall back on the actual people of Winnipeg who are good people who want to represent the city well, and more often than not, they're going to pick you up. So there's a lot of community here, even if the police are falling short to their responsibilities to that community. Paul Gackle joining us live on 680 CJOB. Paul, thank you very much for joining us and sharing your story. It's Mackling and McGarry. We've got Darcy Oak tickets, Burton Cummings Theatre, coming to town October 21st and 22nd. We asked you if you've lost a bet, and John is our winner. Greg, what does John have to say? I've always been a sucker for betting on the Jets, both 1.0 and 2.0. Back in the early mid-90s, living in Vancouver, I got tickets every time the Jets came to town. My hair, metal hair, in all its glory, was the target of a girl I was interested in. My blinders for how much I love the Jets always caused me to put my hair on the line in hopes that it would be the final step to getting that date. Needless to say that on at least two occasions I went from having Bon Jovi hair to looking like someone who just visited the military barber. John goes on to say, you would think I would learn my lesson once Jets 2.0 came around, but no. In the school I taught at in BC, I was surrounded by Canucks fans and a fellow teacher who was a Habs fan. So every time the Jets played the Canucks or the Jets played the Habs, the loser had to wear the other team's jersey to school for a week. Needless to say, I wore a lot of Canucks and Habs jerseys. And then Greg went on to say, I bow to your loyalty to our Jets, John. Are you done with the bets? And what does John say? I wish I could say yes, but I still am in contact with my friends from BC, and when you see my Facebook profile with the Canucks logo or Habs logo, you know I've lost the bet. The girl in question, by the way, from way back when, is one of my best friends, and we still make the odd wager on the Jets versus Canucks. No more hair bets, though. John, congratulations. You're going to see Darcy Oak. Last guest at 9.05 posted to Twitter last week a detailed account of his experience with something all too many of us are intimately familiar with, and that's bike theft. Yeah, that's right, Brett. And uh, just forgive me for a second here while I get caught up. The short version of what happened is Paul was uh, Paul Gackle, our guest, was in Osborne Village. Someone picked the U-lock on his bike and then changed chain-locked his bike to another bike, he suspect that his bike was in the process of being stolen and that the thief would soon return. That's when Gackle found some Winnipeg police officers. So I headed down to River and Osborne and I stumbled across three police officers, two cruisers, and they were just sort of standing around on the other side of River, talking it up and enjoying a, what appeared to be a coffee break. I explained my, my situation to them. I said, look, it looks like my bike's actually being in the process of being stolen. Somebody's already picked the lock. They've chained it with their own lock uh, to another bike. And what can you guys do to help me? And they basically shrugged their shoulders and said, sorry, bud, you're on your own. There's uh, nothing we can do about this. Your options are you could call a locksmith or you could go buy a pair of bolt cutters. So I guess I'm just, I'm a naive person, I guess. I think of policing as sort of a community effort where uh, the community is at its best when they trust law enforcement and law enforcement's looking out for the members of its community. And I thought these guys would say, you know what, Paul, let us just see what we can do. Uh, 
you know, really, if they if I could have just had somebody stand there for for ten or fifteen minutes while I figured out a way to get this bike off, you know, that might have uh, gone a long way for me. But these guys instead basically shrugged their shoulders, told me there was nothing that they could do. It was not in the purview of what is their responsibilities as the Winnipeg Police Service. They suggested I get bolt cutters or call a locksmith, and they basically uh, laughed at me when I said, really, you're the police? You can't do anything to stop a crime in process? They started laughing at me. Constable Jay Murray is public information officer with the Winnipeg Police Service and joins us now. Constable Murray, good morning. Hey, good morning. Thanks for having me. Uh, we appreciate the time. I, I know there was a lot to unpack from that discussion with Paul. And speaking to specific incidents, that that's difficult for you, and, and I get that. But can we ask this in a broad sense, you know, from speaking to Paul and in my own mind, the question here at the heart of this matter is, were officers unwilling or were they unable to help an individual in a situation such as this? So it's something we're looking into. When uh, Mr. Gackle posted this to Twitter, we certainly, it was brought to our attention. We're looking into it. Um, we have a pretty robust complaint system here with the Winnipeg Police Service. We have our professional standards unit. There's Lyra. Um, and, and if a complaint is made, which we certainly would suggest if you feel you've been aggrieved by the actions of an officer, making that complaint allows us to investigate this. Every cruiser car has GPS, and we've used it a lot in investigations before. It would allow us to know, determine who this individual may have interacted with and see um, what exactly happened. So that's kind of the first step. We just don't know what occurred. I mean, I've looked at some of Mr. Gackle's tweets. There is some things that kind of make me scratch my head. Um, at one point, he alleges that Air One is over uh, above in the afternoon. Our records don't indicate Air One was in the air at the time. So um, certainly some information we need to look into, and we would encourage him to make a complaint if he, if he chooses to. Now, we were just wondering, you know, how busy officers might be because like, one of our friends owns a store and it was broken into uh, last week and he says the police just never showed up. Um, so can you give us an idea of just how busy officers might be with other situations right now? Yeah, and I think that's one thing that it's really hard to communicate is just how many calls we go to on a daily basis. Even since 2016, the amount of calls that we've gone to has risen drastically. I mean, we get almost 2,000 calls a day um, to our comm center, and, and that translates into about 650 calls for service every day, uh, about 27 per hour, 24 hours a day. That is a lot of calls that are coming in. That is a lot of work for our officers, and these are calls for service, so that's not even online reporting um, incidents that come in that way as well. So. It's a lot of work, and, and the reality of it is uh, violent crime takes a priority for us. Um, most of our response is directed towards those, those emergency calls, those high-priority responses, um, and, and again, those, those calls are rising, too, uh, at a pretty drastic rate. Uh, Constable, we had the mayor, and I referenced this in our conversation with, with Paul, and you know, I've had my home broken into, uh, knock on wood, not since uh, I, I was a, a young man, uh, late teens. And back in that day, back in the late 80s, early 90s, the police were there quite quickly. They were there to, you know, to take notes on on what had been stolen, to, you know, at least in my words, uh, Put their, put their hand on your shoulder and say, we'll do what we can. It's unlikely we'll be able, but at least they came and they showed up. 
And so there are only a handful of times that individuals, a law-abiding citizen, will have reason to interact with Winnipeg police. And typically, it's because they are the victim of a crime of some description. And so I use that example of a home robbery because we know the Winnipeg Police Service don't come out to those calls any longer. They simply don't have the resources. But do you understand how people get frustrated that the one time, the one time I need you, I'm asking for help, it appears as though you might be in a position to do something for me, and I met with this sort of dismissive take and 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 how that that might be frustrating for for citizens in a broader sense. The one time I need you, you can't even help me out. You know, absolutely. I can certainly sympathize with you. I'm very proud of the work that my colleagues do, but I think one of the hardest parts of this job is when you hear these stories of individuals who are victims of property crime, for example, and they feel that there's a, a delayed response or they didn't get the response they're looking for. And, and it's very tough. I mean, I just had my cousin call me the other day. Um, his, uh, my nephew got, uh, or his, sorry, his kid got his uh, bike stolen from outside of a pool and asked what could happen. And I, I mean, certainly walked him through the steps as to how to make that report. Um, but it's tough to hear those stories. Just yesterday, heard from a, a family friend who had their house broken into and now they're waiting uh, for that response. So uh, it's very tough to hear those stories. Um, I've even been a victim of it myself just the other year while I was doing an interview with Cluche on the air at your, um, the CGOB studios when they were in Polo Park, my bike got stolen in that uh, 15 minutes that I was on air. And um, I never got that bike back. And in fact, there was, I kind of fell into that same queue. I didn't get any special treatments. I submitted my report the way most people normally would. And, and that was the end of that. So I, I mean, We've all heard these stories. It's unfortunate. We've taken a number of steps to try ease that reporting system. Um, the vast majority of stolen bikes in the city here, um, we come across them when we spot check people or when we arrest people. Um, I, I can't understate how important it is or overstate or just have your serial number, register that bike, uh, and, and file that information. And that's probably the, the best odds you'll have at getting these bikes back. And um, there's a number of steps people can take to try to protect themselves. I wish we weren't in that position. But the reality is we're strained more so than we've ever been before um, when it comes to responding to calls. It's the symptoms, right, Constable, that I think have people worked up It's and bothered. At least it does for me, the fact that, here we are in a situation. Uh, one of our listeners say, why don't you talk about the police taking down a random stabber on Friday? Hey, um, I want to hear more about that situation. It just boils down to the fact that bike crime is high. Break and enters are high. Uh, vehicle thefts are on the rise again. Uh, we all know that people in River Heights have their windows smashed out, are victims uh, of crime on, a, on an absolutely re- regular basis all over the city. And here we are, unable to do anything about any of that. I mean, I wouldn't say that we're unable to do anything about it. We certainly make arrests. I mean, every day uh, when I work in the public information office, I review the what we call the arrest and major. So basically a summary of what's occurred, the arrests that have happened over the last 24 hours. And we're making arrests all the time. Um, we're holding these people accountable. We're, we're sending them to the court system. What happens from there is a different story. And, I, and I'm sure there's probably some frustration at that level as well. But we are, we have 
um, a number of detectives in our major crimes units, and, and even though their name is major crimes unit, they investigate a lot of those lower level um, crimes. We have a property crimes unit that work their tail off. Um, they're constantly making arrests, doing search warrants. So I, I don't want to maybe provide that picture that nothing is happening. I certainly, I think when you're the victim of a crime, you certainly want that quick response. You, you want somebody held accountable to it. It may take some time, um, but rest assured, there are detectives that are working these files on, on a daily, hourly basis. Constable Jay Murray, Public Information Officer with the Winnipeg Police Service, joining us live on 680 CJOB. Constable Murray, thank you very much for this. We appreciate it. Thanks for having me.